Welcome to the Painting Lines Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things tennis. Join Eric and Aiden in their discussion for updates on news and pop culture, and from hot takes to betting, they've got you covered. Ready? Play. Welcome back to Painting Lines. Uh, last week we talked about the new ATP baseline initiative, and this week we're in the middle of the U.S. Open. We're jumping into it. We're giving our first week review. Talk about the surprises, the upsets, and the main storylines from the U.S. Open so far. So yeah, Eric. Luckily, we've had the chance this time since it's in the U.S. to actually be at the tournament and see some of the matches. Do you have any of like highlights from the first couple rounds you saw? Any experiences you had there? I mean, first of all, it's just great being at the Open. Yeah. You know, the energy that New York has compared to all the other tournaments and just the fact that it's the last slam of the year. So there is a lot of pressure coming into it. I feel like a lot of players are kind of, you know, doing the oh shit dance. Okay, like got to do well, got to do well. But something that sticks out to me just right off the bat is Casper Ruud. Very disappointed. But other than that, I'm very happy to see, you know, a good amount of Americans into the quarterfinals. We have Ben Shelton, Tiafo, and uh, Taylor Fritz. So always good to see that. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a pretty cool tournament so far because I think there have been enough upsets that it's been kept interesting and you're getting unique matchups but the top guys are still in there or a lot of them are at least and so it looks like we could still get a really intense like an Alcaraz Djokovic Djokovic Medvedev those types of matchups in those last couple matches yeah I mean I'm I'm hoping we'll see another Sinner Alcaraz repeat from last year that'd be cool yeah like Miami this year Sinner is that level of player so we need to see if he can perform at the big stage yeah yeah all right. Well, uh, how about some early upsets? The biggest shocker, I think, in the early rounds, first round upset, Runa loses to Carabeas Baena. Really, it kind of was just like, what happened in this summer hardcourt season? Three first round exits, loses first round Canada, first round Cincinnati, first round here at the U.S. Open, and then fires his coach. It's kind of shocking just because he had been getting pretty consistent results. From Australia to Wimbledon, he didn't lose a single first round match. He was getting at least through the first round every single time and usually further than that. And all of a sudden he just loses first round three times in a row. Like, I wonder what happened. Maybe there was some issue with his coach that maybe the relationship just kind of ran its course. You know, he kind of used everything that he could have gotten from Patrick and then maybe he felt like there was nothing new that could be learned I feel like there's always that aspect of novelty when you start something new especially with a coach you know you're absorbing all this new information all at once it's helping but then the longer you're with them I'm sure it kind of tails off you're not noticing as much improvement anymore you're probably getting irritated with them because you spend so much time with each other and you know Runa is not the most He's not the easiest guy to coach, I'm assuming. You know, he's got a big personality. And I just think that the relationship came to a point where I'm sure it was just not fun for either of them. And that kind of showed in Runa's play. Runa's lack of success, I'm sure he took it out on Patrick and blamed him for that. Yeah. It's tough, though, because when he became his coach, he was like number 30 in the world. And in one year, he goes from number 30 to number four. I mean, that's a crazy jump. And while obviously it's a lot of it is just the player getting better and improving, there's got to be an aspect where the coach is helping there. 
And you'd think that there would be more to benefit if someone could take you from number 30 to number four. But there is also the positive, I think, in terms of like respect to Rune that he was able to cut that off because sometimes you don't want to end up in a spot where you're like Sitsipas, where you're with the same coach forever, your dad, and uh, he just can't really help you and you're just attached to them. He knew what he was going to get from the guy. He got a good amount from him. Now he's moving on. So in some ways, it could be a good idea. Yeah, definitely a good idea because you need change. But if something's not going right, what's the first thing you do, right? You know, change something up. So I wonder how much his mom had to do with this decision. You know how his mom's pretty into his career as far as um, like managing him? It's tough to say because we don't have the, the peek behind the, the curtain there to see what she's saying to him, what she, what her thoughts are. But moving on, the next guy that had an early first-round loss was Kachanov. It kind of just feels bad to see him lose because he hasn't played, didn't play in Wimbledon, just comes in and just gets kind of whooped in the first round by Mo. Just gets manhandled. Exactly. I mean, to me, it kind of just signals he's clearly just still injured. Maybe he was just trying to collect that U.S. Open paycheck. I mean, why not? It's the last slam of the year. Whatever's aching or that dull pain you have, you got to play through it to get to the U.S. Open. Because you never know. He could have made it through this round. but Yeah, I mean, if you make it through a round, you get a pretty massive paycheck. I mean, even just being in the first round, you get a pretty decent-sized paycheck. Yeah, he also made a run last year, too. So maybe there's some sentimental value to it. Um, you know, made it to the semis. Yeah, he's like, I played well last year, so let's see how I play. Maybe he's like, this is my tournament. This is my year. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you already mentioned it. Rude loses to Zhang in round two. Another disappointing summer hardcore player. Went two and three in the summer. I feel like you just have to expect more from him. I mean, he played in the final here last year. And now he loses in round two? Like, what's happening with this guy? Is it his coach? It, it could it be his dad? <laughs> Earlier this year, he was in the final of the French Open. Like, you have to think that it's just something mental going on. Yeah, I mean, in the Zhang match, he was just playing so loose, you know? Usually, he's a pretty cautious player, you know? He's the type of guy who'll stand deep, he'll hit pretty solid ground strokes. Nothing that's going to woo you, but against Zhu, he was just going for everything, which I don't think is his strategy that he normally succeeds with. Yeah. He's probably just trying something new because he wasn't finding success. But if his style is not to go for these big shots, you don't really want to make the massive change in the Grand Slam atmosphere, right? You want to make it in a smaller tournament and hopefully maybe adjust it. Completely changing your strategy doesn't seem like the right move at the biggest stage. I wonder if how much his struggle right now has to do with being in the French Open final, not winning. If that took a psychological toll and maybe he's like, okay, I'm not doing something right. Like you said, I was in the U.S. Open last year. I was in the French Open the year before. I was in the French Open this year. I've been in three Grand Slam finals and I haven't won. Let me do something different. Or is it just I've been in three Grand Slam finals and I am i can't win? What's going on here? And then that's what's dragging him down, making him not play as well. It's a lot of pressure, I feel like, you know, especially being the only top 100 ranked uh, Norwegian tennis player. Maybe it's a lot of pressure in the country to do well, to succeed. I just don't know what else to chalk this up to. Yeah, well, I mean, he played decently in a couple other tournaments after the French Open, just he hasn't played well in the bigger ones, I feel like. So have we seen the best of Casper Ruud? I think it's going to be a situation where he's going to have to take a mental reset at the end of this year. Because 
the weird thing is is that right now he isn't even going to be playing in the ATP finals. He's out of he's behind Taylor Fritz and Zverev in terms of the race to Turin rankings. So he's not going to play there unless he does something. I don't know how many tournaments there are before the ATP finals, but he has to perform pretty well in all of those. It's pretty surprising about Zverev though, right? Because Casper Ruud, he made it to the French Open final. Does that not I mean Zverev made the semifinal. Yeah. Zverev made the semifinal. Now he's in the he's in the round of 16 right now. If you get pretty solid results with a couple good ones, you can be near the top. The thing is is that Rude has massive results this year, like the French Open final, and then he has really disappointing results. Yeah, we should just not even mention anything to do with grass with Rude. Exactly. I mean, he pretty much skips the whole season, so it's like he just plays golf. He hits the links. Yeah, exactly. That's him practicing for grass. I mean, speaking of a guy that was disappointing, though, the last uh, big upset early was Sitsipas losing in round two. Lost to Stricker. It was five close sets, but you have to expect more from these guys. Like, if you're a top ten player, everyone expects you to at least make the the fourth round. Round of 32, maybe. Maybe if you lose to, like, the 25th guy in the world. Like, people are like, okay, that's that's understandable. It's an upset, but it's understandable. But losing in round two to a guy like Stricker, who isn't a well-known player even. This is a guy that's performing well this year, but didn't really have a name in terms of the world scene. I know. It's funny. I see a lot of Stan Wawrinka in Stricker. Not only because they're both from Switzerland, but they both kind of have that look, right? They don't have the uh, like stereotypical tennis player body. They're kind of a little more stout, a little more uh, thicker, <laughs> thicker, bo- <laughs> bigger boned. Um, but no, Stricker's a powerful guy. You know, I'm, I do think Sitsipas should have beat, beaten Stricker, but, you know, credit to Stricker for pulling this one out. I wonder, is Sitsipas still going in doubles? Sitsipas and Petros were playing doubles when I was there, and it was jam-packed. So it was on one of the smaller outer courts, I want to say court six, and it, you just could not even find a seat clearly and even standing i would stand on another court's bleachers just to see into that stadium. i saw i saw a couple people doing that i was like that's a smart strategy last year my brother said he he got to go to the grandstand and that's apparently like general admission access to all the seats so he was first row in one of the spots watching curios's doubles match i'm like that's sick yeah especially (laughs) curios But yeah, I mean, so of the early upsets, it kind of made me want to examine over the whole year who were the biggest disappointments in Grand Slams. The biggest one, obviously, didn't even mention him in the upsets because it wasn't really an upset when he lost this time, is FAA. We've been harping on this guy for a little bit here. I don't want to go too much into it, but really underwhelming the whole year. Fourth round in Australia, so a reasonable result in the Australian Open. Fourth round. And then... First round in the French, Wimbledon, and in the U.S. Something's going on with this guy, whether it's injuries. And I think there's just a level where you have to take your time off and you have to make your adjustments. You're going to tell him to retire. <laughs> You're like, okay, man, hang it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. But, I mean, he's 20, 25 he's or something. Young. He's, he's young. He's pretty young. So, you got to just say, take a hiatus almost. Just figure it out and then come back. Because I feel like the best way to look at it is – 
it can't get any worse. You know, you take a hiatus and you come back. It's not like you could play worse than what you were before. Yeah, I mean, you can't can get, get wor- much worse than losing every match. Yeah, so. no. He's got to seriously sit down, analyze every match he's played with a good coach and pick apart his game and just start start from scratch. 100%. Something's, something's got to change, FAA. We got faith in you, though. Exactly. We're rooting for you, man. We want you to do well. It's just disappointing and then sneakier disappointment rude i think had a very disappointing year in terms of grand slams well he made it to the final of the french open he he had (laughs) one good result in the grand slam if you looked at it in terms of cumulative performance if each one was worth a quarter of your grand slam performance the max would be 25 percent, right so he gets a 24 percent for the french open and then loses in the second round of every other tournament but that's how the rankings work it's partially how the rankings work but if you make the quarterfinals of every tournament like you probably get a higher ranking than making the final of one and none of the other ones it makes him seem like he's just a clay court player no you can't say that after last year's u.s open all i'm saying is that he has not played well in terms of other surfaces he just played well really on clay this year i don't know what happened to his game maybe he tried to make an adjustment and it messed up the other portions but it's weird to look at a guy that made the finals last year and know that he performed so poorly in every other grand slam this year yeah no i think they need to add some new element to his game whether it's a new coach not completely replace his father as coach but they need fresh eyes on it right they've probably all been doing the same thing and it's just not working other players are adapting they're starting to play against them better they're figuring out a strategy i don't i haven't really noticed if it's a fitness issue where he's running out of gas but something's got to change but yeah already i mean moving on the big stories of this tournament one big one and i kind of have to eat my words a little bit but i'm happy to to be honest Ben Shelton playing well, finally, through to the quarterfinals. Really impressive. I mean, beat Tommy Paul yesterday. Just playing great. I mean, he's such an exciting player. Massive serve, massive forehand. Just goes for his shots all out. I mean, I was talking about, oh, this guy's just showing up. He's just collecting his checks. But that's what it seemed like. He was losing every first round, pretty much. And now he's through four matches, four wins. I'm just happy to see it, to be honest. Yeah, no, I I am too. Especially because we kind of thought he was like, oh, fluke, Australian Open quarterfinals. You know, we're not going to see that. He's young. He's inexperienced. But now coming back, maybe it has to do with the Grand Slam hardcourts. I think it is the Grand Slam hardcourts, but just, I think, hardcourts in general. If you look at his stats, I was looking at them earlier, and at the tour level, he's going into this tournament, he was 7-17. and 17. Currently, he's, I think, 11-17 and 17 with these extra four matches, but he is 3-8 and eight on clay and grass. So, if you take those away, he's actually 8-9 and nine on hardcourt. While that's not an incredible record, obviously, it's below 500, it's still significantly better than the overall record would reflect. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the strategy here is for him? Is it, you know, double down on hard and become a, an amazing hardcore player, like a, a specialist, one would say, like a Medvedev, or take away from training on hard courts and work on the other surfaces to become a more well-rounded player, but then you take away from your hardcore technicalities in that game? I think it depends how ambitious he is the more ambitious he is 
the more he's going to be like, I need to play well on clay. I need to play well on grass. I need to play well on hardcore. If he's like, if I really want to see the best I can on hardcore, he'll double down on hardcore. I'll play well in Australia. I'll play well in the U.S. I'll play well during the hardcore seasons in the spring and in the summer. And that'll be my time. And that's a lot of the year. So I'll be a top player. But if he's like, I want to push it to that next level, he needs to improve on clay and grass and look for those results too. Because that's something you have to do if you want to be a top 10 level player is improve in these other categories. Yeah. And I think his game would translate pretty well to grass too. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, he hits the shit out of the ball. He hits 147 mile an hour serve off of grass. That ball is skipping. No one's returning that effectively. And the scary thing is, I think his serve's only going to get better. Really? Yeah, because he's only, what, 19, 20 years old? I think if you tweak his technique just a little bit, maybe have him do more explosive workouts, lift a little heavier weights, and then he grows into his body, I think a peak male athletic body's got to be like 25 years old right because you're finally growing into it he's still young i think his body has a lot more transformation to be doing and he'll start hitting his spots better too i think he'll get more savvy with the serve so he'll be like a sniper out there yeah i think the precision can definitely improve just because you're just hitting more serves the older you get having a 135 mile an hour serve to a spot is pretty scary yeah and i also think that he's his celebration could use some work too (laughs) yeah i was talking to my brother about it i think that's why guys yell come on because it you get that deeper tone in there when he goes yeah it just doesn't get the same level of uh strength behind the word yeah but he's fun to watch at least he shows emotion out there like i feel like against tommy paul part of the game that he was implementing was you know psyching tommy out right coming in being aggressive showing that emotion celebrating because tommy's not like he doesn't really express himself fully so you don't know what's going on in his head whereas i feel like he was kind of getting pissed off at all shelton's uh theatrics out there yeah i mean it was an impressive win not to discount shelton but i do think tommy had a little bit of an injury that he was playing through he had rolled his ankle a little earlier in the match and the later half his serves were only 80 miles an hour yeah i don't think he was getting good push off of his ankle on there and he wasn't moving as well i would have liked to see a fresh healthy tommy yeah i mean it's, it's tough to say i mean maybe maybe he just got in his own head and started playing worse i think we'll see in the news in the next couple of days something about a tommy paul injury <laughs> but then again it could be an excuse people don't want to feel like they played their best and lost that's why when you see i think the best matches of all time that guy is really disappointed that loser not just because they lost the match but because they know they played their best and it wasn't good enough but don't you think some people look at that as like a hey you know i played my best i tried and i lost nothing i can do about it i played my heart out that's one attitude to take but if you play your best and this person beats you you're like i actually am just worse than this guy if you have something oh i rolled my ankle and you can be like well my ankle wasn't fully there like a coping mechanism almost definitely Well, a crucial point in that match came in the first set. Tommy Paul was up three love. You know, he had an early break. And he had break point on Sheldon again in that fourth game. And it was a weird 
situation where it was a Ben Shelton drop shot that Tommy Paul got to pretty easily and just kind of ripped one where Shelton was on the other side. And you know how you're just kind of bad drop shot and then you're up at the net just sitting there like a yeah. like a sitting <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm like so all right, well, uh, you know, he guessed the side. He when Tommy came up to rip the ball, Shelton just sprinted to the right. And I think it kind of spooked Tommy because he tried to lift it over him and he just sent it out way long. That was break point right there. And then from that moment on, Sheldon went on to hold, break him, and then end up winning the set. Yeah. It seemed like Shelton would put himself in bad situations with his serve and then serve himself out of it. I feel like Tommy Paul had a lot of break points that he just didn't convert on. I want to say one of the sets he was like three for 16. Yeah, exactly. So that's a ridiculous, ridiculous stat. But speaking of that match, I mean, Shelton... Fritz, Tiafo, like you mentioned, all through to the quarterfinals. Three Americans in the quarterfinals. We back. The big stat they said yesterday at the match was that's the first time since 2005 there have been three Americans in the quarterfinals. Pretty cool Yeah, no, it is cool, especially because there's been a lot of hype uh, leading up to this tournament, right? Like, who's going to do it? Who's going to be the American to do it? And, you know, we have three now. And especially because we have a – Tiafo playing Shelton, right? So guaranteed American in the semis. Yeah, there we go. Uh, well, what do you think is better to have all the Americans on one half of the draw and just be playing against <laughs> each other to go up? It's like the Little League World Series where it's like U.S. is on one side and then the world is on the other. Yeah. You get a guaranteed American team in the final. Yeah, but no, I, I think eventually uh, this is, you know, very wishful thinking, but we'll have two Americans in the U.S. Open final. Maybe if Djokovic retires, Alcaraz gets hurt, and then uh, Medvedev just kind of gets pissed at something and yeah. loses. Medvedev pulls a Djokovic, hits a ref with a ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I think the thing about it is, like, we were talking about how there's two Americans in the top ten, there's Tommy Pauls up there, there's, like, more and more Americans getting up there, but the quarterfinal seems like a reasonable result for these guys to get to. Does any farther seem reasonable, really? Like, Obviously, we're going to have one in the semifinal, but do we expect a guy to make the final? It's going to be tough unless there's some weird upsets. To be completely honest, I don't. If one of them comes up against Medvedev, Djokovic, Alcaraz, no one's going to be expecting that American to win. I think Tiafo has the skill and talent and everything. I just don't know if he's like serious enough to do it. Is the serious attitude like really critical if you can perform at that level if you have the talent and the skill and all this stuff it doesn't matter you can be joking around on the court and still beat the shit out of someone yeah i guess look at alcaraz i want to say alcaraz jokes around out there but he definitely has fun yeah but i do think he's very shielded by his team caged off from the rest of the world like his team has him on a line like they run a tight ship. I don't think you see him like walking around the locker room before the match, kind of like going up to people, joking around. I think when he's in game mode, he is locked in. I think probably most of them are kind of like that. There's probably like outbursts of having fun. Like, oh, that was a crazy shot you just hit, man. But like most of the match, they're pretty locked in. Yeah. On another note, I want to say, you know that other tour that's going on? The UTS? Yes. Yeah, Universal Tennis. Universal Tennis Showdown or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm almost positive that Shelton had beaten Tiafo in one of those matches. Yeah, but that's not like a... Where they picked the nicknames, it was weird. It was like the big foe versus the mountain. I guess Shelton's nickname is the mountain. He stole it right out of Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking You've about. You've never watched Game of Thrones? No, I need uh, to, though. I've heard I've, yeah. I really need to. Yeah. 
Anyway, I don't think that's really a signal of what's going to happen. But, I mean, Shelton's playing well. He could win. Yeah, and it was on one of those weird single courts. I hate seeing those. It makes it look like fake tennis or like pickleball. You're like, that field is – or that court is really small. Yeah, it's funny you said field because I realized I've been watching so much tennis lately that when I was referring to a football game yesterday, I was like, oh, did LSU win the match? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, the football God. match. I, yeah, no. I feel like if you say football match, you have to be talking about like European soccer, football, yeah. soccer. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was at a bar yesterday and I was watching the U.S. Open tennis and then I was watching Arsenal Man U. So both matches. <laughs> I wasn't watching games. I was watching matches. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, there are a few guys that really have stood out in this tournament and mainly there's three guys that really seem like the favorites massively still. And it's the top three seeds. What do you think of these guys play? I mean, Djokovic just he lost those two sets and was like okay I need to lock in now he was always in control I see what you're saying he wasn't cruising but he was I think in control in all of these matches yeah I mean you saw when he played Goyo yesterday he you know no more funny business just straight to the point three sets boom exactly yeah and then I mean Alcaraz has dropped one set I think and really hasn't been tested he had a walkover in the first round so not that much court time just pretty much optimal for him yeah i mean he's someone where i feel like court time doesn't matter as much as Djokovic. i'd like to say that but then again we, we've seen him have those like cramping issues and stuff in the past that's true i wonder in these big grand slam tournaments that last two weeks when you are just cruising through a tournament and not spending much time on the court if on your off days you're doing some kind of conditioning fitness like hitting the bike or at least getting your heart rate up because if, if he's only spending, you know, two hours on the court every other day, then come to the final if he needs to play a five-setter, five-hour match, he's not going to be ready for it. Mm, I think they probably are doing a little bit of something, but I doubt it's... They're definitely breaking a sweat. They're breaking a sweat, but it's not like, oh, we're going to go out and just run like sprints for an hour. And no, do- obviously not. <laughs> I'm sure when they hit, they do some kind of... yeah. You know, that gets their heart rate up. but Yeah, I mean, it's just like staying loose, I think, and making sure they're not making any bad decisions on their off days. Yeah. Another thing just on Alcaraz, you saw it in Cincinnati where it was just outrageous conditions, super hot, super humid. Here in the U.S. Open, you would usually get that, but I feel like every day is kind of different. Saturday, you had no humidity. You know, the high was maybe 75. In the morning, you had it 60s. Like, it was prime tennis weather. And then yesterday, you had 90 degrees, humid, just brutally hot. So these players, it kind of is the luck of the draw, which day you're playing on, too. Because you saw watching, you know, matches on TV yesterday, guys' shirts were just drenched in sweat. Well, yeah, remember we talked about it yesterday when Shelton was playing Tommy? Whoever's in the shade is doing better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. half shade, half sun. It's definitely impactful. Mm. But, yeah, I mean – Last guy that I want to talk about in terms of, or the last couple guys, Medvedev, already, like I said, the top three guys. I mean, he dropped one set so far, but he has had some like late night matches, so that could impact him. But I'm really excited to see this Deminar matchup because Deminar is the last guy who I think is in really good form and I think is really impressive. I feel like you're a Deminar fan. Would, would you? I like Deminar. I like watching him. He's he's one of the most, for me, one of the most exciting guys to watch. Just because, like, you get really interesting points when he plays. His court coverage is insane. Exactly. And 
I think he's playing really well. He dropped a set in the first round, but the last two rounds, he just clobbered his opponents. He dropped 10 sets across the two matches. I thought Jari was going to give him a little run for his money. I think I misspoke. I think I said 10 sets. You did say 10 sets. 10 games. (laughs) (laughs) He lost 10 games. (laughs) No, 10 sets in two matches. Then he lost 10 games. uh, I think it was four to Yi Bing Wu and then six to Jari. And Jari's a good player. Jari's been playing good this year and just didn't look like he had anything. Dismantled him. Exactly. 100%. And you got to go to that one. I was waiting in line. I was I saw court 17 get there and it's just wrapped around the whole entire stadium. Yeah, I know it was a, a crazy line. I saw the people going into the stadium next to it and going up to the top level. Oh yeah, yeah. I was like, that's a smart move. No, I just watched a uh, random doubles match instead. Yeah, co-ed or uh, mixed doubles. Okay, <laughs> co-ed doubles. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, you ready to? Uh, hop into segments yeah one thing i do want to say though before we hop into segments is we always talk about tennis in the u.s and you know we're trying to grow the sport that's part of our our goal here and i think we're seeing it right now i think with the u.s open you have aaron Rodgers at the matches you have justin bieber Haley bieber uh jimmy butler it's becoming a barack obama is michelle obama it's becoming a uh, more of a social event too and as much as i hate to give these girls credit you know paige lorenz tommy paul's girlfriend and meg riddle taylor fritz's wife i think they're also doing a lot to help grow the sport i think they're bringing more awareness to it you're getting people who i've probably never heard of francis tiafo but are huge jimmy butler fans and basketball fans who follow jimmy butler and are seeing him at a tennis match I know that the tickets this year were way more expensive than they have been year, years past. So it's definitely some sort of change. And I don't know whether it's driven by these people being there, but it's driven by something. And that's one of the changes we've seen. So it could be that. Yeah. I'm at least the honey deuces have stayed the same price. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> $22 last year. I was thinking with inflation, they would start jacking 30 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Watch us when we're adults. Honey deuces are going to be 50 bucks. Everything there is ridiculously expensive. Oh, I know. I eat before and then I just show up and I'm like starving the whole day. And I'm like, I can't get a hot dog for 12 bucks. I can't convince myself that that's worth it. The key is to just not even look at the price. Yeah. Just be like, give me five hot dogs. (laughs) You're like, you maxed out your credit card. What? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Now we can hop into segments. Sounds good. So this kind of goes off what? I was talking about with the fans in a little bit of a way. I'll get into it later. But Medvedev tells the fan to shut up. Are you surprised? Dude, I was at that match. I was rooting for Medvedev. And everyone else in the stadium, it felt like, was rooting for Baez. Yeah. I mean, this is just so Medvedev's character, which I don't mind. I think it's good. It's cool. You know, grabs headlines, uh, has my attention. Do you think that that should be a thing in tennis? Because tennis fans the whole dynamic is so much different than any other sports team you know you have hecklers you have people yelling at the top of their lungs and then you know at a football game or even baseball game you have vendors walking around trying to sell you beer hot dogs you don't get that at a tennis match it's just a lot different do you think the players should be interacting with the fans since it is a very intimate setting I'm confused. Like you, you're saying hecklers are at other places and not at tennis. I'm match. saying it's normal. It's actually like looked up on to heckle at other sports 
games. Whereas tennis, if you're a heckler, you're, you know, classless and probably shouldn't be at the match because the players, you know, they'll say something to you. You look at Djokovic and Medvedev, they they will say something to you. I think it's kind of like the B incident with Sitsipas. There is a level of precision in sports like tennis and golf where you have to give the respect to these players to be quiet during the point because it's just how the sport is played. I don't mean to cut you off. I agree. That's not – the question I'm posing is should Medvedev have interacted with the fan? Oh, okay. Should, not ten- whether- should tennis players – be penalized not whether there should be heckling but whether the players should respond yeah heckling is going to happen distractions are going to happen regardless but should the players because it is like i said tennis is such an intimate setting you're basically interacting with the fans whereas any other sport you're not there's no zero interaction with fans maybe basketball i think the difference actually that's weird is that because it's so loud in a basketball stadium or football stadium you don't hear the individuals Versus in tennis, most people are respectful, and then there's some people that are just, like, yelling out random stuff, so those people stand out. Yeah, but in basketball, you do get people who sit courtside, sometimes get, you know, into it with players. I know, uh, remember the, I forget which owner it was, but the ball went out of out of bounds, and he held the ball, and Jokic was trying to get it out of his uh, arm to quickly throw it in. He just wouldn't give it to him, and then he shoved the owner. That's hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah, so what, is Medvedev in the right or is he in the wrong here? Okay, here's the thing about it. I watched, of, of the two you men's matches, my question of the two times. men's matches I watched, two times, once with Medvedev, once with Djokovic, they went up and talked to the chair umpire, which is probably the right thing to do. Probably the right thing to do is say, hey, I'm going to talk to the chair umpire, I'm going to say something about this fan. As soon as they walked up to the chair... Everyone in the stadium started booing them. He could walk up and say, oh, I love the fans tonight. And the fans would start booing just because they see him talking to the chair umpire. And they assume he's complaining. So I think it probably is better for him to just say something directly to the person. But you can't do that. Because if you respond to the person directly, all you're going to get is just more comments from that person. They're like, oh, the, he, he talked to me. I'm going to say more now. Uh-huh. It can't work either way. It's kind of a screwed system. I know. The other person who's notorious for doing that is Curios. You know, he will get into it with fans. He'll get personal with fans. Remember that one fan in the Miami Open who stood up and was like, yeah, give it to me. Yeah. Like, that was pretty Well, no, because that guy just wants to be, he's like, I'm on TV now. I'm cool. Yeah. I, I love Curios. He goes, hey, you got a free ticket or what? You, you paid money to be here tonight. Yeah. Some people think it's all about them. Uh-huh. It's crazy. I know. Well, anyway, my two cents is, yeah, I don't think Medvedev's in the wrong here. I think I think it's entertaining when he does stuff like that, you know? I, I don't mind it, but what about you? What is, what is new in the tennis world? I mean, already mentioned it. Kind of sad to see Isner plays his last match. King of the serves, ace record holder, been the top American for a long time, just a tour staple, just knowing that that 6'10 dude's going to be around there, 6'11". Opelka. I mean, I feel like he's just not the same energy Opelka as uh, Isner is. But Yeah, and it was sad to see the way he went out, too. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is – it feels fitting that he would lose his final two matches in match tie breaks. Both his doubles and his singles matches match tie breaks. 
So it's just how it goes. The time's going to pass. People are going to retire, but it's it's tough to see him go. Yeah, well, Jack Sock, another one, kind of got overshadowed by Isner's retirement. Yeah, and also I think because Isner's was kind of you saw it coming, and so you're like, okay, we're preparing for this. this, And then so it happens, everyone's like, okay, well, here's his last hurrah. And Sock, it was kind of like, hey, I'm retiring. Everyone's like, what? Well, was he even in the singles draw or no? He only played doubles. He only played no. doubles. Maybe that's – little part of it it's part of it but also like he hadn't been playing well in singles really i don't know when his last big singles result was pretty crazy he got up to number eight yeah well i mean he had one big year he won like four tournaments i remember in 2017 i want to say 2018 won the paris masters and you're like this guy's how'd this happen (laughs) and then just yeah spike yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to a lot of the pressure, too. I'm sure he had the whole weight of the United States tennis. Yeah, I mean, being the top American is not easy. No. I mean, like, I think Isner handled it really well. Like, he, he was not just the top American for a little bit. He, he was top American for a long time. Yeah, he did, he did a lot for the sport. So, thank you, Isner. John. All right. Let's get into bet of the week. All righty. My bet of the week, I'm taking Zverev. Plus 125, upsetting Sinner today. Why? I Here's the thing. I like Sinner. I think Sinner's a great player. I like watching him play. But to be honest, I think the match is a toss-up. I think it could go either way. And Zverev is the underdog. And I always take the underdog in these situations. So I'm taking Zverev. I think you get value. And I think in a toss-up match, it's good to take the value bet. So I'm going to take the inverse of that bet. I will be taking... No two out of two bets this week, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a zero-sum game. But I will be taking Sinner minus 170 over Zverev. I think I think Sinner played pretty well against Stan. I mean, I know you, you didn't seem to think so, but he beat him in four sets, and he did it pretty handedly. He beat him in four sets, but look at Stan. Stan is... Stan? Hey, don't... Don't be talking about Stan like that. Dude, what do you mean look you're at the guy Stan? that calls him a pity player. What do you mean look at Stan? <laughs> Dude, Stan is 38 years old. And he's hanging with the big dogs. Yeah, he's hanging with the big dogs. But if Sinner was playing really well, Vavrinka probably shouldn't get a set off of him. Dude, I, I don't know, man. I think, <laughs> I think it's much more impressive to see Zverev win against Dimitrov in four sets like he did. I disagree because he went into two tiebreakers with him. You think Dimitrov is... I think Wawrinka would smoke You think Wawrinka would smoke yeah, Dimitrov? Yeah. That's a crazy yeah. call, yeah. I think. Yeah. Dimitrov is like top 20 in the world. Wawrinka is maybe in like the top... Yeah, pick. but Wawrinka has three slams under his belt. Yeah, you're going based on the... Pat- yeah, it's like that's like saying, oh yeah, Roddick would kick this shit out of center. Uh, not exactly, because Roddick is not playing tennis anymore. <laughs> All I'm saying is like... You can't just bring the past and say, oh, this guy, like, 10 years ago was really crazy good. All right, all right. Let's, let's move on here. <laughs> I, um, I, I don't know. I just feel like Sinner, like you said, it's a toss-up, complete toss-up. So, I like Sinner. I'm just taking – I'm playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> devil's advocate on the bet. I didn't, yeah, I didn't like any other lines this week. This was the only pretty close – That's true. Pretty close uh, odds, so – you take Zarev, I'll take Sinner. Okay. Well, all right. Let's get into match of the week. What was your match of the week? My match of the week actually was Sinner versus Vavrinka. Only because I was there, I 
watched the whole match and really what happened to he beat him pretty handedly huh what happened to he beat him pretty handedly? hey we had this discussion the match of the week doesn't always need to be a close match i think the match of the week is a subjective thing i thought it was the match of the week and i'll tell you why okay didn't really have much to do with the actual score but just the atmosphere there you know the karota boys are kind of making themselves known at the u.s open and they pretty much stole the show. When I was there, it was so much fun because they brought so much energy and the cameraman was just focusing on, they were on the big screen almost every <laughs> other point, just going Every nuts. time Sinner won a point. And it would be so funny because when Sinner was down, they would just be like, their body language would be so down, but then something would happen and they would be like, oh, getting up and getting crazy. And um, so that was one aspect to it. The other was... This was the first time I got to see Stan play in person. And to be honest, could be the last time. So that was awesome to see this guy's immaculate backhand. It is gorgeous. He made some great plays. And um, yeah, just really enjoyed myself at this match. Thought it was good. Thought it was good tennis. Uh, I saw great Cool to see him win tennis. a set too, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I saw. Oh, you're having pity on him? <laughs> no, I, I like him as a player. You're the one that has pity on him. No. Not yet. Uh, once he gets to be like Monfils, then I'll start having pity on him. Isn't he older than Monfils? But he's still better than him. Mm. I mean, Monfils had some pretty good results recently. All, all I'm saying is, Stan, if you see him in your draw, you're not like, oh, I got this. Yeah, but I mean, I feel you're like it's the same thing with Monfils, though. If you see Monfils in your draw, you're going to be like, this guy could perform at a really high level. Yes, I agree. Okay. I'm not going to disagree with that. I, I, I think... If you see Monfi in a year or two, then... Yeah. But probably the same with Stan. Yeah. All right, what about your match of the week? Mine is Isner's last match. Mo won 3-6, 4-6, 7-6, 6-4, 7-6. Isner was up two sets. Went into a tiebreak in the third. Didn't get it done. Goes into the fourth, loses 6-4. And then in that fifth set, he had a match point at, I think, 5-3, I want to say. But gets a break match point. Doesn't convert, unfortunately. And it just kind of felt bad to see that he was that close to winning the match and was up two sets. But it was a good match. It was close. And respect to Mo for getting it done. And it's tough to be in Mo's spot there because he knows it's Isner's last match and he has to make sure that he stays playing as hard as he can. Yeah. No, it is a weird situation playing someone who... You know, being both American, I'm sure the crowd just was going for John, right? You have to at that point. It reminds me of Tomlanovic uh, when she played Serena in Serena's last match. Her dad was like, you're going to be the one to make her retire. Like, don't feel bad about it. You know, you got to have that mentality. It's not a charity. You're not like, oh, it's John's last match. Let me give this one to him. You remember ever seen that famous baseball uh, game where the guy has a perfect game? And in the last out, they, like, throw it to first. And he was out, but the umpire calls him safe. And, like, he could have, like, just jogged down the line, but he sprinted. And so it was close enough that he got called safe. If you're going to compete, you have to have that mentality, like, I'm going to go all out to get this hit. Plus, it's also patronizing if you don't to the other person. It's like, they don't, they're an athlete. They're a professional athlete. They're a competitor. They don't want you to just easily give up just for their sake. Exactly. But, yeah, that's a wrap. First in-person podcast in the books.
All right. See you guys next week. All right. And that's the show. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at Painting Lines Podcast. Feel free to shoot us a DM or email us any questions or thoughts at paintinglinespodcast at gmail.com.